Well, um, I'm continuing on 1 Corinthians, uh, the series we've been on, and this is my sixth sixth, uh, sermon on 1 Corinthians. So this is part six of a series that we are on called uh, The Power of Correction. And so we are on chapter 11 today, and chapter 11 is a very difficult chapter. (laughs) If you've read it this week, uh, it is a difficult chapter, and so that's what we're, I'm going to dive into today. If you're a guest with us, uh, we are on a reading plan where we're reading the, fir- the first book of Corinthians, first chapter, first Corinthians, the whole ch- the whole book. And if you would like to join in with us, there are reading plans back there on the table as you leave, or if you want one at the Welcome Center, you can grab one. And we in unity are moving forward in the word of God, and you can join him with us. But uh, chapter 11 is a a tough one, and um, it's probably one of the most misunderstood and confusing passages in the Bible. And uh, it's caused a lot of conflict in the body of Christ, this chapter. It has caused a lot of division. It has uh, caused a lot of people to divide between male and female, and what can men do, what can women do in the church, what men can do and women can't do in the church. And a lot of theologians have given an immense amount of time and energy uh, to this chapter in research and and really seeking the Lord on understanding. And, uh, but still many theologians are left unclear, and I will say, I have spent at least 20 hours researching, studying this week, and probably another 10 hours listening to other theologians and sermons on this chapter. And I'm more confused than I've ever been. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) And so it it, it is a chapter that um, I even had hoped that the Lord would uh, allow me just to pass. I was going to actually pass it. Oh, no, that's right. And so uh, the Lord wouldn't let me do that, and that's okay. And so we're going to dive into chapter 11. And I'm not going to really get into the controversial parts of it. Uh, We really don't have time. You cannot do one message on 1 Corinthians 11 and break into the different um, theological differences between it. And I'm going to stay in the theme of what... We've been covering, <clears throat> excuse me, in how Paul has been correcting the Corinthian church. And so what I'm going to do as I approach chapter 11, I'm going to approach it from the perspective of where Paul has already been in what he's doing in correcting the church. Uh, I am going to talk a little bit of male, female, but I'm, I'm really going to kind of drive home what was Paul trying to correct in the church because as we're in this, this, uh, this, chat, the, this book, it's all about Paul correcting what Christians can and can't do. We've been talking about Christian liberties and is it okay if a Christian does this? Is it okay if a Christian does that? And, and the Corinthians, the church in Corinth, who their father was Paul in the Lord, They had asked Paul these questions, and so they, not only had Paul written a letter to the Corinthian church, but the the church in Corinth had asked Paul questions about things, and we've covered things like, 
you know, food sacrificed to idols, and we've talked about all kinds of different things, and I'm going I'm to dovetail it into those issues. But I really think the theme that Paul is, is talking about under chapter 11, oh, thank you, Tony. <clears throat> Thanks. I am definitely on the scratchy side there today. So I'm going, to, I'm going to focus in more on what is Paul trying to correct in an overall theme, rather getting into the specifics of some things, but I am going to touch on some. So that's, that's where I'm going to go. You guys okay with that? But I want to remind us, what, what did I say last week and I've almost said every week? We love correction. We love correction. <clears throat> go ahead and say it again. We love correction. Say, I love correction. And the more I know about God's word and his beauty and his glory, I find the less I know. I find as soon as I get clarity on something, then the Lord brings another revelation or he begins to show something else. And I have changed my position on many things through the course of time. Anybody else? And so I love correction. I love it when my wife corrects me. Woohoo! Glory, hallelujah. <laughs> I just like it when she's gentle. So, as we get into chapter 11, I want you to realize that this is a question that the people of Corinth had asked Paul. And he's addressing this question. And he's giving them wisdom. And so we're going to start in chapter 11. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe not. Is there anybody back there? Oh, there we go. That's too far because I already pushed. All right. Yep, we're there now. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to get your Bible out. If you have an electronic Bible, get your Bible out. Or you can read the writing on the wall. And we're going to dive into some confusing chapters. And... I believe God's going to speak to us. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we read this. Lord, I just thank you for your presence. And I thank you, God, for just speaking to us as a church in Corn County, USA. We thank you for the city of Newcastle. We thank you for this opportunity, God, that you've given us to be in the earth at this time, in this city, in this region, for your glory. God, speak to us. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. So Paul starts out and he says, I praise you for remembering me and everything and for holding to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. So Paul gives them a little bit of praise and he thanks them that they're wanting to uh, hear. That's one of the things that I want to point out. Even the Corinthian church loved correction because they were asking Paul for correction. They were asking his opinion on what does this mean about the word or what does it mean? And he goes into this thing and he says, but I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head, un head covered dishonors his head. So if he prays or prophesies with a prayer shawl over his head, he's actually dishonoring Christ is what that's saying. And the head of the, oh, excuse me, well, I lost my track there. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head or her husband. It is the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have, cut hair, have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off, 
or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman and woman for man. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority, ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, women, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. There is an interdependence there. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Judge then, therefore, for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, in other words, argue or bad talk or get upset, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. Wow, lot there, isn't there? Men, uncover your heads. Women, cover your heads. Man is the head of woman. Long hair for men, short hair for women. Woohoo! And what's this all about? Because of angels, right? What in the world is Paul correcting the church here? Okay, so I'm going to dive into this. So there's a, and we know, I mean, if you've been in Christian gym long enough, there are denominations who focus on some of this stuff. There are places currently in America and even in this city where there are people who still use head coverings. And head coverings were not that abnormal in American churches up through the early 1900s. That was very, very common. I know Alice, who is back in the back seat, and, and Sarah and Brian and all them, they were raised in a church uh, that, that women wore head coverings. We know that there are several traditions and Amish and Mennonite who women who wear head coverings. So we know that this is where they have gotten this in this passage and why they wear head coverings, and they've honored the Lord with that. Now, my goal here today is not to say tomorrow we're going to change the things in the New Covenant and we're going to have you women wearing head coverings. <laughs> we would lose probably half the congregation, wouldn't we? But I am going to go over to an overarching thing of what was going on here and, uh, and bring some context to this. Because there is something that, that Paul is trying to correct in the church. And obviously... There was a problem in the Corinthian church with women wearing head coverings and men, not, and, and, and men even wear, shouldn't be wearing head coverings when they prayed and prophesied. And I want to put this in the context that this is addressing a worship service, okay? When you're praying in a worship service like this or you're prophesying in a a worship service like this. This is the context by which Paul is talking about here. Okay, are you guys with me? Yeah. So, <clears throat> this correction 
is in connection with a worship service. And so that's where we're going to dive in. So, so when you read this chapter, you have to put it into context of the people in Corinth. And that's what I'm going to do a little bit for you and help you kind of have some history of what was going on in Corinth. And you got to realize that Corinth and Athens are a part of Greece. Rome is over here. Well, I guess it would be like this. You know, you're looking at me backwards. But Greece and Rome were all part of the same system. And Rome had, Rome and, and, and the Greek mythology and all that stuff, that had all been intermixed. And so in the Greek culture, head coverings was, all, was a, a thing that was normal. In the Middle East right now, head coverings for women is still going on. Muslims and non-Muslims alike in the East all still wear head coverings, right? Do we not know that? And so this culture of women wearing coverings was very, very normal. And, and I believe a head covering was worn, and, and, and in, in Greek, actually, head coverings was worn by women as soon as they left their house. They actually wore head coverings as soon as they left the house. And if they were seen by other people, they had head coverings on. <clears throat> in the culture of Greece, however and the Middle East, women were controlled by men. Women did not have the same rights. Women, women could not vote. They could not, they could not, they were denied citizenship. And they could engage in small amounts of commerce like Lydia did when she sold purple cloth. They could sell in the marketplace on a limited scale but they, they didn't have the rights that men had. And so also, they, women could not, um, they could not choose their husband. The husband was chosen for them by their father. And so women in that culture did not get much say in the culture. And we've come a long way in America <laughs> on that because here in our, own in our own nation, women used to not be able to vote, right? In Greece, in this time, boys went to school, girls didn't go to school. Girls would stay home and learn the trade of the mother and help with the home, and boys went to school. Married women, as I said, wore head coverings as a symbol. Everybody say the word symbol. What is a symbol? A symbol is a nonverbal communication. It's communicating something. And it communicated in their, in their time modesty, purity, and submission to their husbands, submission to authority. Young girls did not wear head coverings, nor did prostitutes. Even in the culture in Greece, literally, the medical doctors of that time thought that a woman's hair had something to do with reproduction. And so they, if they would cut, so if they cut their hair, it would keep them from being, it could affect them. So that's why often they covered their hair as well. Lots of, lots of history here. So in a worship service in Corinth, which is in the Greek, is in Greece, 
a married woman coming to a worship service when this is the culture. And it's very obvious that even in this, this setting that Paul was correcting them and saying, when you're in the service and the woman speaks up to pray or she speaks up to prophesy, she should put her covering on. Because evidently, and I, evidently it was causing some problems when women were speaking up in the service and they were praying and they were prophesying. Now, what you have to know here is God and Paul, they don't correct the women for speaking up in church. They don't, they don't, they don't keep them and say, hey, don't, don't pray out loud and don't prophesy. That's a good thing, right? But for some reason, it was causing quite a stir and conflict in the church in Corinth. And so Paul is addressing this. And what I believe is that women had been, in, in essence, since Christ, because this church is now approximately four years old, and the women had been liberated in their faith and realizing that they had a lot of freedom in Christ. Because now the Spirit of God was falling on and Joel 2 was coming alive because the Spirit of God was coming on. And what God had prophesied in Joel chapter 2, that in the last days I will pour out my Spirit on your sons and your daughters, and your sons and daughters will prophesy. And the daughters of the Lord were prophesying. And God was moving in the church services, and God was touching women. And God was speaking through women prophetically and through prayer. But let me ask you, if the culture of head coverings was like that, and this is going on in the church, what do you think would have happened? If head coverings was part of the culture, and the women were coming to church without, obviously they had her prayer shawl with them, but they were actually coming to church without the prayer shawl on. And what he was saying was, when you prophesy and when you speak publicly, show that you're under authority, put it on, and speak and prophesy. Because what I contend and what I believe is going on here is it's much like what he's getting ready to correct the church in chapters 12, 13, and 14 that we're getting ready to read when the spiritual gifts were being abused. And people were speaking out of turn and they were prophesying out of turn. And Paul begins to bring correction in these later chapters. I believe what was happening is there was a lot of people getting offended when, people, when women were speaking in public with their heads uncovered because they weren't sure if they were under authority. And it's just like us here in, this, in our environment, we have a submission of authority. When you get a prophetic word, you get a tongue or interpretation or something you feel like is public for the church, what do we do? We have a, someone that's stewarding the mic where we yield that to them. It's a form of yielding to authority. Is that not true? Right. And I think it's similar to this, except in the culture there, it was a lot different. <clears throat> So here's what I believe. I believe this issue of head covering is similar to the corrections Paul makes in earlier chapters when he begins to talk about even meat sacrifice to idols, lawsuits among believers, sexual immorality, marriage, can I marry, can I, should I stay single, 
When is it right for a person to get married? When is it okay for a divorce? When is it not okay for a divorce? All these things, all these Christian liberties and rights do I have? When is it okay to do things and when is it not? I believe it falls under that blanket that Paul is very concerned about how your actions and what you do affects other people. And I believe that's what's going on in this church in Corinth is Paul is making, I believe, a concession. Now, there are people who will disagree with me. I believe Paul is making a concession, not a command. I think he's taking the cultural situation up here, and he's saying, because there's going to be so much conflict in this church, women, just put a prayer shawl over, put a covering over you when you speak publicly and when you do it. I think he was doing that because of the conflict within the culture so that everyone could be edified. Because there were going to be people in the congregation who could not be edified. Why would they not be edified? Because they wouldn't listen to what the woman was prophesying. If they had this where they thought, no, this is a doctrine and it's commanded that you wear a head covering, do you think people would listen to her as she was declaring the word of the Lord? So Paul again is saying, you can eat meat, but if eating meat is going to cause someone to sin, then what? Don't eat meat. If wearing a head covering is going to, you're not wearing a head covering is going to cause someone to sin, wear the head covering. That's my take on it. It's about denying your rights for the good of others. You have the right to do things, but not everything is beneficial is what we've been reading over the last 10 chapters. He did not say women quit praying or quit prophesying. It's very obvious that in the worship service, they were coming into the worship service without their heads covered. It was only when they spoke, he was encouraging them to do that. And I think the issue is, again, Paul is wanting everyone edified and built up. Now, I can't prove this, but this is truly my understanding based upon how Paul has been correcting the church all this time. And so, <clears throat> I believe Paul is saying you have the right not to wear a head covering, but don't let your freedom cause someone else to sin or be offended. That's what I believe. Now, I know there's a lot of people who would disagree with me, but that's what I believe that the Lord is saying through this. So wear the head covering while praying or prophesying is what I believe he's saying. Now, when it gets to the interpretation, uh, I'm going I'm to pass that. So the issue here that's going on is they are still asking Paul, what is it okay to do and what it's not okay to do? Is it okay to wear a head covering? Is it not okay to wear a head covering? And again, Paul is making this proclamation and he's telling people you have rights. But do your rights that you have, are you considering others with those rights? And I believe Paul even errs throughout all the 1 Corinthians, and maybe error is not the right word, but he, I'm going to say the word error, he errs on the side of not offending people and not hurting others with the freedoms that we have as Christians. And it's like I shared two or three weeks ago. You have the right to drink alcohol. Drinking alcohol is not a sin in and of itself. Drunkenness is. 
is what the Bible says. I don't touch it. I don't drink it because it, I believe it affects my witness as a minister of the gospel. But you say, I have the right to drink alcohol, but are you willing to give up alcohol if it causes someone else to sin? That's what Paul is talking about <clears throat> over and over and over again through 1 Corinthians. I talked about modesty. You have the right to wear whatever you want. You can wear short, short skirts. You can let your cleavage show. A man can be in his tank top and going, hmm. <laughs> and you can dress not modest. You have the right to do that. But if you're not considering somebody else on how it will affect them, again, Paul says you're better to love well and not do that if it's going to cause somebody else to sin. So Paul, throughout all these chapters, he's challenging people to give up their rights for the sake of others. That's really what I believe this chapter, if I put a blanket theme over chapters 3 through 11 so far, that is the blanket of what Paul is saying to us. That you have rights, but don't use your rights to cause somebody else to sin or stumble or to hurt them. Are you guys with me? So, I would believe in this context, you have the right to not wear a head covering, but if wearing that head covering is going to cause someone to sin or to cause conflict in the church or turmoil in the church and no one's going to hear the word of the Lord, the prophecy, or the prayer that's coming forth, you're better off wearing your head covering and being concerned about them so that the prophetic word can be received by the whole body and not just the two or three that might be okay or have the freedom. So, like I said earlier, we're not going to have you ladies start wearing head coverings. You're okay. So, the question that I believe, and I, there, some of what I'm sharing today is almost repeat. Because there's such a theme, and I think there's something that the Lord's trying to do here at New Covenant and within our own hearts. Because I think what we do is, I think we offend and hurt a lot of people within the church body and even outside the church body because we do things that really offend other people that we think, oh, we can do that. And we're not taking into consideration other people at all. And so I believe God's trying to correct something here in our house, to be honest with you. But my question is, is do you consider others first? Do you consider how someone else believes before you take action? Do you consider how your actions could offend or hurt others? And what I've noticed about Paul is Paul lives this lifestyle of love and concern for others over himself. I mean, remember what Paul did when we read the book of Acts? Acts was part of our reading plan. Do you remember when Paul is going on his missionary journey with Timothy? And Timothy, what? He has a Greek father and he has a Jewish mother. He is an uncircumcised man. And circumcision was not part of our salvation, correct? correct. Circumcision was not required any longer because Christ was our new circumcision, right? right? 
But what does Paul do? Paul encourages Timothy to get circumcised, dang, at the age of 20-some years old, holy moly. (laughs) Paul is so concerned about the Jewish people he's getting ready to go minister that they will not be able to receive Timothy or the message of the gospel because Timothy Timothy is not circumcised. He becomes all things to all men. And it looks like he's compromising and going, whoa, you said we don't have to be circumcised to be saved. Nope, you don't. We're actually not going to be a stumbling block to our Jewish brothers who need to hear the gospel, so hey, buddy, get cut. And we're worried about our rights of clothing and little things. Hey, boys, that's a little too close to home. Right? Also, what's Paul do throughout the Gospels? Even in in 1 Corinthians 9, I believe it was. What does he do? No, I can't remember. We just read it here recently. What does Paul do? He gives up his right for offerings from the Corinthian church because he doesn't want to cause them to stumble. He doesn't want to hurt them. He literally doesn't get financial gain in order to serve them because he doesn't want him taking money to be in conflict with them. Now, he takes money from other churches. He takes offerings from other churches. But Paul gave up up, up this right even there because he did not want to cause offense. He, there was a reason why he didn't want to do that, and he gave up his rights. Now, are you willing to give up your rights? Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jew, I became a Jew. To win the Jews, to those under the law, I became like those under the law. I have become all things to all people that I might save some. Guess what our goal is, is to get people saved, amen? And they'll know you're my disciples if you, what, love one another. And if you're loving people well, you're going to put their, where they're at before yourself. Can I have, please have an amen on that? So do you think of others first? What freedom or right are you willing to give up for others? Do you demand your way? Will you give up your right to be right for others? Or does your pride put yourself first? Now I'm going to give you an example from my own life. And I looked this guy up over the last six to nine months. I don't know if it's because of reading Acts or 1 Corinthians, but I had to repent of something. I had had to ask the Lord to forgive me. And, 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 and it revolves around my rights. And so years ago, when Karen and I bought our first house in Rushville, I was working at the bank there, and I had, I had met this guy. He was a Christian man, and he had given me a quote <clears throat> to change. All my soffit was wood, and I was wanting to put metal over my soffit. And he gave me a quote. He said, uh, you know, this amount for the metal, this amount for labor. And uh, I said, go for it, do it. <clears throat> And so he came, did it, did a great job. He gets to the end of the job. He said, Eric, I must have mismeasured. I need more metal. And uh, can you give me X amount of dollars so that I can go buy the metal? I won't charge you any labor, but I need more metal. It took more metal to cover your soffits. And me, in my immaturity, 
I said, nope, you gave me a quote, buddy. I said, what you quoted is what I'm going to pay you. And I demanded my rights. Honest mistake, you can take what you would do and, and however you would do it. I didn't think I was wrong at all. It was not, no signed contract, it was a verbal. And I said, nope, dude, that's on you. He did it. He spent his extra money. He did it, finished it. I looked him up on Facebook trying to find this guy so I could repent to him and say, man, I was so arrogant. And it was all about me. And, uh, and, all of, and I know this, this can be a thing where in our culture, you being right. Yes, I was right. He sh- I, I thought I was right. But I really wasn't right in the, the fact that he, yes, he gave me a quote, but it was this issue, this arrogance of holding. It's like I needed to seek to understand. I have, I, and, and, and so I literally, the Lord began to convict me about nine months ago. And it's like, God, I thought I was so right. Yep, America thinks they're so right. That goes back to that message about lawsuits among brothers. Would, it not be rather, would, it, would you not be rather be wronged and cheated than to bring contention between your brother in Christ. He was a brother in Christ. That's what that scripture means, Eric. You should have went ahead and said, hey, I really wish you'd do it, but I should not have brought contention between us. I should have just went ahead and swallowed it. It was probably $150. It wouldn't have been much money. But in my demanding my rights, demanding, no, this is what you quoted me, I... I hurt my brother. I did hurt him and didn't realize it. I had a situation here recently with another family member. And they did the same thing. And they would not pay this Mexican brother money because he misunderstood them because of the language barrier. And he didn't do it exactly the way they wanted but it was because of the language barrier and they ended up not paying him because he didn't do it the way they asked him to do it. And it's like, here we have a guy that needs salvation and we're going to demand our rights. And can we not look at this and say, hey, are you going to demand your rights? Here's another situation we had years ago. A church came to us and they were wanting us to come into the church and they were dedicate, getting ready to dedicate a new building to the Lord. And they really wanted to do some house cleaning. And they knew we were spiritual type guys, people. They wanted us to come and pray over their building. They wanted us to kind of anoint it with oil and all that kind of stuff. And they do not believe, well, some of them believed in speaking in tongues. But we'll just say it was a denomination that didn't believe in speaking in tongues. And so I shared with our people before we went in, I said, listen, guys. We're not going to offend them by us. We're going to go pray. And if you want to speak in tongues, do it under your breath. We're not going to take and offend them. Just because you have a right to speak in tongues doesn't mean you have the right to offend your brother. Right? So we go, we do it. And by golly, one of our people blessed their hearts. Felt like the youth pastor needed to get baptized in the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues. And he was very offended. Very hurt. And we have rights. We have rights. But do you have a right 
to hurt your brother and to cause him to sin or to, to, to hurt your... I mean, he really got offended. And the God was probably dealing with this young man. But because we believe certain things and we, we, we know we're right on certain things, we, we, we force it in on people and we can hurt and offend people. Is any of this making sense? Here's what the Word of God says. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now, I'm not saying that we become a doormat. Don't hear me say that. I'm not saying we become a doormat and we are just people pleasers and only do what people... That, no, what God's saying is honor people. Know who you're dealing with. Put others before yourself. That's not something that's common in America. Can I have a witness? Is there anybody else that believe that's common in America? Philippians 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. So my question for us all today is in the context of head coverings, in the context of, you know, Paul doing what he was doing, you can say that no, he was demanding head coverings, and maybe he was. There's a lot of debate out there. But I believe it comes under the theme of how he's correcting, and he's saying, be careful how your actions are going to affect other people. That you're literally concerned about your brother or your sister in the Lord and how my actions are going to affect them. Am I going to demand my rights? Am I going to demand my way? That's wrong by gosh, and I'm going to tell you. Yeah, you can do that. You have every right to be right. But is it productive? Is it beneficial? So how are you doing at putting your spouse, your friends, your church family, others at work, how are you doing at putting them above yourself? I've got some areas to grow in. How well do you consider others before yourself? How good are you at giving up your rights or freedoms so that you do not hurt others? And maybe a better way to ask that is who gets hurt often by you? Who are you in conflict with a lot? Does conflict follow you? Are people getting their bowels in an uproar because of you all the time? Do you get along well with people or are you in relational conflict a lot? You're probably not considering others before yourself. You're probably pushing your own agenda and pushing people away rather than loving them well. Now, you may be going, well, I don't have problems with anybody. Well, part of that may be because you don't have anybody in your life. <laughs> Do you push your own agenda? I've done it. Do you think you're right? I've done it. Once I thought I was wrong, but then I realized I wasn't wrong. 
No, no, I've been wrong a lot. I believe that's the context of what Paul's talking about here. Yeah, I could have got into the issue <laughs> of men and women on this and headship. But really, when it all boils down to it, I believe Paul's given a concession to a people and saying, are you being considerate of other people in the service? What do you guys think? I may be wrong. You ought to be like the Bereans and go study it because I tell you what, you can go uh, study this and you can spend, there is one, I appreciate it, Jeff Hughes sent me a video uh, of a guy teaching on, on this chapter and his teaching alone was six hours and I listened to all six hours of it. Yeah. Man, I agreed with a lot of what he said. There was a few things I disagreed with. But the issue is, and he didn't bring up any of this that I'm talking about today. He was just on more of the men and women issue and the different positions that are out there on men and women in ministry and that kind of thing. So if you would just stand up with me, I'm, we're going to actually get done a little early today, believe it or not. Guys, if you wouldn't mind, just put a little music on. I'm just going to ask you, did the Lord bring anything up as I'm sharing in this message today where maybe you have not been putting other people first, that maybe you were like me where God began to deal with you on the contractor that I dealt with many years ago and I tried to find him so I could apologize. I was actually going to give him money. He had a family and children, and he was a contractor that was barely making it. And here I was, a banker. Me and my wife both worked. I had plenty of money. I had more money in the bank than that guy probably dreamed of having. And I'm demanding my rights. How about you? the Spirit of God dealing with you on anything this morning about giving up your rights to be right? Arguing to the point where you'll bring division rather than loving well? Seeking to understand? How about you? Holy Spirit, would you just begin to convict us? God, we want to be a people that you can correct and change. Lord, is there any of us? Lord, just, just invite him to correct you right now. Just say, God, correct me. Holy Spirit, come and just begin to show me the mindset that needs to change in me to put others before myself. Say, Holy Spirit, deal with my heart. Holy Spirit, deal with our hearts. Lord, we are a people who really want to reflect you in our relationships here in church. We want to reflect you at work. We want to reflect, God, the concern that you have about others. We want to be that to other people, God, that we would put others before ourselves. 
Father, I know in my own heart, God, forgive me for being selfish. Forgive me for having my own idols. Forgive me for, for demanding my own rights. God, may we become like Paul. May we follow Paul as he followed you. May we give up our rights in order to help others come to know you and to help bring unity in the body of Christ so that your kingdom might come and that your will might be done on earth as it is in heaven. That God, this city and this region would come to know you because this house loves differently. Because this house has learned how to put others before themselves. So Father God, I pray that you would shift our culture, that you would shift our hearts to God, that this kind of heart would be out of new covenant people. And so God, we thank you for that. God, I thank you that you're dealing with our hearts. I pray God that you would convict us and that God, you would help us move this week towards putting others first. And God, we give you praise for that in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. got your cameras. Here's your action plan for the week. The first thing I have on here is, uh, is there anyone you need to apologize to this week for putting your, your rights and yourself first? Who's been hurt by you? Is there any mess you need to clean up in your relationships and ask for forgiveness? Really take that to the Lord in your quiet time this week. Say, God, is there anybody that I've offended? Is there anybody that I have really tried to push my agenda with and I've hurt them? Help me to go to them and clean that mess up. Number two, we're going to practice honoring others this week at ch work, church, and in the home. Practice denying yourself and putting others first. That's, that's a really good thing. <laughs> Again, consider joining the media fast. We've not put a time deadline on that. We're not, we've not said it's for three weeks. But be, consider detoxing your life from screen time. Consider you dying to self in that area. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is a real powerful chapter. Do a hear journal or Lectio Divina on scripture. God highlights to you. And this week we're going to memorize James chapter 114. That's good news. All right. Father, bless our day. Father, we thank you for who you are. We love you and we honor you. And we thank you, God, that you've always put us first. Now, God, help us to put others first in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. God bless you. Have a great day.